Welcome to another episode of Axe of the Blood God, US Gamer's official RPG podcast. I'm your host, Kat Bailey. With me, as always, my lovely co-host, Nadia Oxford. Hello, Kat. Uh, let's hope we can return to some sort of normal now. We're back! Yeah, we are back. We are indeed back. Um, you from the desert, myself from PAX, and uh, yeah, we kind of missed the last episode there. I'm really sorry. Yes, uh, this is like the second episode in Axel Blood God history that just got eaten, uh-huh. disappeared into the void because for various reasons. So we did intend, in fact, to have an episode up last week. But first, there were first they didn't hit the record button during Nadia's panel at PAX. Yeah, that was certainly a thing. Like they couldn't re- they couldn't record the feed directly, the audio feed. And then I'm like, okay, well, can you hit this record button? And then they didn't. So. <laughs> <laughs> so that was a thing, but it wouldn't have worked out that well anyway, because it was a visual panel about like story, like visual storytelling. So we're like, look at this slide. What do you see? And you can't see anything if you're just listening. And then we tried to do another uh, podcast right after that. That would have gone up on like Wednesday. That was kind of a PAX recap. Yeah. Uh, but then there were like some serious technical difficulties and we just weren't able to post that one either. So a lot of wasted time. It was fun. Yeah, it was it was a thing, all right. Especially since uh, we recorded that on Tuesday, so we had just gotten back that morning, and like I was literally like sleep talking, like I and sleep writing. I was just like I was in a state on Tuesday, so that would have been fun to have up. Well, we're back and completely, and we've got a lot to cover on this podcast. So a few things that we're going to discuss this week. We're going to recap our PAX panels really quickly. We're going to talk a little bit about Iceborne. I'm going to review it because I got to play the expansion. My review is up over on the site and spoiler alert, I really like it. And yeah, you can quibble about whether or not Monster Hunter is an RPG or whatever, but uh, much like Dark Souls, I'm kind of, and Zelda to some extent, I'm kind of grandfathering it in because I like it. (laughs) It's close (laughs) enough, you know. That's as good a reason as any. I like it there. Yeah, and I mean, it's those are the kind of games that are going to appeal to RPG fans, right? Because, mm-hmm. I mean, Zelda obviously has a fair amount of RPG DNA in it with the, the dungeon crawling and the exploration. Of course. Uh, Dark Souls, I mean, there are many people who would argue fervently that it's an RPG, and I have no qualms in saying, sure, why not? I don't care. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Like, it's, um, yeah, Monster Hunter, Dark Souls, like, why the hell not? Let's go with that. And Monster Hunter is more of an RPG than, like, Destiny is, so... I agree with that, actually. Yeah, because, I mean, you spend so much time obsessing over your your various builds and everything, and your stats really do make a difference in that oh, game. Oh, God, yes. M- yes. Much in the same way that they do in Dark Souls, to a much greater extent than I think in Destiny, I think. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, we're going to talk about the Iceborne expansion, and we're going to talk about the Nintendo Direct, in which there were many RPGs announced. In fact, I would say it was a very RPG-centric Nintendo Direct, Nadia. Yeah, um, I think the way you put it was perfect. You said it was just a very dense sort of Nintendo Direct, like it was just full of stuff. Yeah, they kept throwing out announcement after announcement, and it was actually really hard to keep up with it. It is always really hard to keep up with Nintendo during a Direct, but that was a particularly hard one. Yeah, it was like 40 minutes of just announcement after announcement after announcement, right? And you're, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't even write the recap as it went. I had to just take notes as fast as possible and then move on to the next thing and then circle back and finish it up. Yeah, pretty much. It's, uh, they, they don't waste time. In fact, I get impatient now when other companies are like on the stage slowly talking about like blah, 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 blah. And Nintendo like, does like two hours of, of announcements <laughs> in half an hour. Yeah, and I've been kind of slow to get back up to speed this week because I'm still recovering from Burning Man. 
Yeah, <laughs> you're still joining the civilized world. Yeah, li- going to Burning Man is like living in an RPG for a week. It's actually kind of cool. I guess it would be like you kind of have your little cluster of civilizations and like, you know, no running water. Yeah, exactly. And everybody dresses up like a character from uh, Monster Hunter. <laughs> but you don't have any giant, like, did you see any like sort of cool animals walking around or anything? Well, instead of cool animals, you have these giant art cars, right? So oh, of course. People take these these buses and they modify them heavily. Uh-huh. And so, for example, there was one called the Boss, which was this giant sheep, and it Aww. had laser eyes. <laughs> the fuck? And I was joking that I could just totally imagine it shooting the lasers and people exploding, and they're like, no, no. It doesn't explode you. It shoots the lasers at you and then makes you extremely fabulous. <laughs> I was thinking more like people just kind of taking like sticks as if they're swords and beating the hell out of it. Like, there's a monster there. Get it. <laughs> and then also when I was getting midnight poutine, I was thinking of Ooh. you, Nadia. How was it? Good? It was the best poutine I've ever had. Oh, nice. I'm yeah. curious. It was a Montreal camp, right? Oh, okay. So that makes sense. It had amazing cheese curds. It had this incredible mushroom gravy with great hand-cut fries. And as we were all standing in line waiting to get it, there was this giant jackalope ant uh, art car with flaming antlers playing a really (laughs) great bass set. (laughs) Nice. I like that. It's funny. You wouldn't think so, but the food at Burning Man is phenomenal because... Uh, Yeah, I I could see that being the case, but I could see it also being full of dust and grit. Uh, not really. I mean, it's not as dusty as I was kind of led on to be believe. I mean, I still mm-hmm. have a lot of cleaning to do, and I was yeah. quite dusty by the end, but it's not like it's just constant sandstorms, or at least it wasn't this year. <laughs> not this year. Maybe next year. I think the difference is that because people are kind of like these are effectively homemade meals, they aren't mass produced. Mm-hmm. For the most part, they're using off the shelf ingredients that ultimately they just taste really, really good, even if Mm -hmm. they're being kind of made in an assembly line fashion and handed out as fast as possible. Not as many vegetables as I would like to over fresh fruits, so it's not really sustainable for the course of a week. Probably not. You're not going to get too much in the way of fresh vegetables and fruit in the desert. The best part, though, was that I didn't play any video games and I didn't look at a screen for a solid week. Did you, like, miss it at all? I did not. Mm-hmm. The only time I missed it was there was one point where I was just kind of sitting in my chair and I had like a moment and I could feel the little part in the back of my brain kind of twitching and being like, go for your phone. Like my, f- yes. my hand was kind of automatically reaching for my phone. But then I realized my phone was sealed away and couldn't get connection anyway. So I was like, okay, yeah, maybe I'll just grab a book. <laughs> in the old days, when people didn't know what to do with their hands, they'd smoked cigarettes. <laughs> yeah or do other things honestly but yeah when i before i had a smartphone i just would pick up literally any reading material i could find yeah i used to just kind of uh go to the library and pick up books like a lot of books uh, particularly when i was grounded from the nintendo which happened a lot because my grades weren't usually good <laughs> you and me both sister my grades were not that great until actually i got into high school and i decided that it counted ah that's a that's a good time to get serious about it yeah, no, exactly. That That's literally what I was thinking. I was like, oh, well, they count now to get into college, so I better have good grades. And I just started trying. Yeah, exactly. I had to start to try a little bit, um, especially since I like really got into the Super Nintendo and I didn't want that taken away. So I had to like study. 
I didn't even get it. I think I've mentioned this a few times on this podcast, but I didn't even get a Super Nintendo until I was a senior in high school. Yeah, so by then you were safe. By the time it hit, like, around the age of 18, my parents were like, look, it's up to you what you do in school. We don't care anymore. (laughs) All right. So if you want to get into contact with us really quickly, uh, you can reach me at cat.bailey at usgamer.net. You can reach Nadia at Nadia Oxford. And if you uh, wouldn't mind leaving a review of the show over on iTunes or Stitcher or whatever podcatcher that you prefer to use, we would really appreciate it because it definitely helps the visibility of the show and such things like that. We also have a newsletter that comes out every Wednesday. Nadia is in charge of that. And it rounds up all of the best RPG news and also has some thoughts from Nadia herself. And you won't find them on the site. You need to subscribe to them. Nadia, what was your last uh, RPG newsletter about? I actually uh, got to play the Final Fantasy VII Remake. So I wrote a little bit about how that like um, kind of subverts expectations. Like you think you know what to do when you're playing Final Fantasy VII. Like, the the great example is you're up against a scorpion boss, and, you know, if you've played Final Fantasy VII before, then you know all the tricks, like, oh, don't attack when his tail is up and what have you, but uh, it's, a, it's a lot harder than Final... It's a lot harder in the remake. Like, you really have to strategize what you're doing, and it actually reminds me a little bit of Final Fantasy IV DS, which is another game that... Uh, kind of comes to you and says oh you you think you know this game do you well well guess what you don't know you don't know a thing and uh you have to really kind of rethink entirely the way you play the game which is which i think is great is for like nerds like myself who have played like final fantasy 4 and final fantasy 7 ad nauseum so i'm looking forward to seeing like you know or how i get punished for for being presumptuous speaking of final fantasy i started some shit on twitter the other day (laughs) i think i saw that what was it something like a ranking of uh you ranked the Final Fantasies or something like that? Yeah, somebody asked me to rank all of the Final Fantasies on Switch. Oh, and boy. so I was feeling a little cheeky, so I put Final Fantasy X-2 at the top, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, that'll that'll uh, angry up some blood. Uh, you know, I, I think it's dis- it's defensible. Final Fantasy oh, yeah. X-2 is a really interesting and perhaps overlooked RPG. I'm sure we'll discuss it more when we get to the PlayStation 2 console RPG quest. Yes. And it has a really interesting quest structure. I like that it's not as dour as Final Fantasy X. I like mm-hmm. that it's a lot more open-ended than Final Fantasy X. I think Final Fantasy X is really cheesy, as I was kind of discussing in the last episode. And I really like, and while I like the battle system in Final Fantasy X, I, I think I like the one in ten two better. Ultimately, it's more of a classic RPG, whereas Final Fantasy X is more of a classic kind of Final Fantasy four type JRPG. So right, and of course, Final Fantasy X two is that like kind of like lesbian pop road trip or whatever. Uh, yeah, no, it was great. <laughs> Which is yeah, that's that's pretty great, frankly. Yeah, it was uh, like some heavy cheesecake. For some reason, they introduce a character named Pain, who doesn't seem to have any real role in the story. <laughs> Except to have a stupid name, I guess. You gotta have one of those. Well, the whole point was that uh, after resolving the events of Final Fantasy X, finally Spira is free of the cycle from the previous like the previous games, so everybody's have just living their best lives. It's great. Yeah, sure. That sounds pretty cool, actually. I could deal with that. <laughs> so, I, th- I think the full list was uh, as follows. Number one, Final Fantasy VI. Number two, Final Fantasy V, which was kind of in line with our top 25 RPG countdown. Number three, Final Fantasy X-2, which I think was the most controversial one. Number four, Final Fantasy VII. Number five, Final Fantasy XII. Number six, Final Fantasy VIII. Number seven, Final Fantasy IV. Number eight, 
Final Fantasy X, final, number nine, Final Fantasy IX, which was also very controversial. That would be controversial. A lot of Final Fantasy IX lovers out there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, you're you're perfectly entitled to your opinion. Maybe we'll discuss it a little bit. I think it's a little too reliant on our on nostalgia, and I don't think it holds up very well. There is actually, um, talking briefly about one of the panels I did, was ranking the, uh, just ranking the Final Fantasy games, and it turned into a bloodbath, as you can imagine. But um, someone on our panel, I wish I could remember who it was, but they were from the UK or Europe, and they brought up a good point. They said, you know, they didn't grow up with the with the nostalgic Final Fantasies, because of course, you know, they didn't really come over to Europe very frequently, if at all. And so they played Final Fantasy IX after playing like Final Fantasy VII, which was very, you know, kind of steampunky, Final Fantasy VIII, which is also kind of very modern. And they go to nine, and they're like, "What the hell is this?" They didn't understand what they were looking at, and I was like, "Wow, that's a perspective I never considered." I mean, I played Final Fantasy nine with my experience being Final Fantasy seven and Final Fantasy eight, and it didn't really it didn't really speak to me initially because i I didn't really understand any of the references to the original Final Fantasy, and it is such a heavy original Final Fantasy nostalgia trip. It, it very much is, and something else I brought up on the panel myself when we were talking about Final Fantasy IX, and this is something we've talked about, is it's just, you know, speaking as someone who played IX for the first time quite recently, it's just very slow. And if I didn't have the Switch's, like, fast-forward options and what have you, I would not have enjoyed the game nearly as much as I did. But it has Vivi. It does and, have Vivi. And it has yeah. some of the best writing in the entire series. Yeah, I had, like, I think the, the characters and the story were a lot of fun. I really enjoyed those. I just didn't enjoy waiting, like, 10 hours for every battle to load up. So I didn't appreciate the final moment. I think we talked about this in our Final Fantasy IX report, which uh-huh. you can go look up a, a ways back in our podcast catalog. But uh, at the time, I didn't appreciate things like basically chaos showing up at the end. Like, it made no dang sense to me. <laughs> It barely made any sense to me, and I, I'm like a, a total nostalgia nerd for Final Fantasy. <laughs> I mean, it's purely a nostalgic nod to the original Final Fantasy. Yeah, but even like, just like, hey, even in the context of, hey, look at this cool thing. You remember this from the first game? It, to me, it was just like, okay, I guess this is happening. Oh, sure. Anyway, 10 through 16 are pretty much interchangeable. <laughs> I would say Final Fantasy, the original, would be number 10, mm-hmm. uh, even though I put it quite a bit lower than that. And then like Lightning Returns and then everything else. Yeah, I think um, for our panel, the uh, the last one was thirteen. Uh, we didn't do like any of the twos, like in, no, oh, no, no, Final Lightning Fantasy Returns two and... is much worse than thirteen. No, no, I mean like, uh, oh yeah, yeah, I see what you're saying, and uh, I don't know, I didn't play thirteen, so I can't really judge one way or the other. But two is pretty bad. Uh, Jeremy says that it was a good and defensible list. Jeremy Parrish, our former editor, so I, uh, so I'm, I'm. I am okay. Like, uh, my list is confirmed. It is set in stone. You can't argue with it. Jeremy gave it his blessing. What about Mystic Quest? Where's that? <laughs> I didn't put any of the spinoffs or anything like that. People were like, where's Tactics? And I was like, well, no spinoffs or MMOs. If I put in spinoffs, I might as well start throwing in, like, World of Final Fantasy and Revenant Wings and Final Fantasy Explorers. Yeah, that's way past the uh, 250 character limit on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, just a little bit. <laughs> Jeremy was a little distressed that I was mi- mixing in the regular numbers and the <laughs> and the Roman numerals. He was like, consistency, God. Wow, what if I died? I have failed you as an editor. I'm surprised that Kay didn't like, come to life and kill you. <laughs> anyway, so I started some shit. It, it, last <laughs> I checked, I had 131 replies. I was expecting to get ratioed, honestly. Oh, you didn't get ratioed, huh? No, no, I had 290 likes. So, Oh, good for you. So as long as you keep that ratio down, you're all right. 
Yeah, I would say that it was about 50% people going, this is a good list. Uh-huh. Uh, about 25% people going, I just can't agree. Final Fantasy IX is like really, really good uh, or whatever. Or how how can you put light, uh, Lightning Returns even as high as you did? And then hmm. there are the people who are like, what are you smoking? You're crazy. <laughs> and it's like, I haven't played Lightning Returns either as well as Final Fantasy XIII, but everything I've heard about it, it's like, okay, it's not the best Final Fantasy, but it's a pretty good one. Uh, Final Fantasy XIII? Two. Oh. Lightning Returns. Oh, Lightning Returns? Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, no, Lightning Returns was a really interesting one. I, I It's like Final Fantasy VIII in that I think that it has some issues. I think Final Fantasy VIII's a much better game, ultimately. Yeah. But Lightning Returns was just kind of a cool take on the open world universe. It was kind of a weird stealth sequel to Valkyrie Profile. Yeah, that is the weirdest part of it. I really liked the what they did with the battle system and such. Uh, had a lot to recommend it, and I think you should try it at least once. I will, because especially since I don't think you really have to know 13 to play it, do you? It was really its own thing. Yeah, no. I mean, by that time, the 13 story was so off the rails that it was just like, <laughs> okay, whatever. <laughs> exactly. Whatever. We'll just play some Valkyrie Lightning's like a, lightning is uh, Lightning is now Lenneth Valkyrie. Whatever. <laughs> she sure. controls space and time, and she's like re- responsible for Ragnarok. Let's go with that. That, that sounds doable. <laughs> yeah. But uh, one console that did not have any Final Fantasies on it, which is kind of sad, actually. It You know, today is the 20th anniversary of the Dreamcast, Nadia. Oh, it is, isn't it? Is it September, September 9th today? September 9th, as of the release of this episode. No, oh, as the release of this episode, I'm looking at, the, I'm looking at my, <laughs> I'm looking at my phone. <laughs> we like, live in the Christ. future, Nadia. You're okay. breaking the illusion. I, I'm totally sorry. I destroyed time and space there. But yeah, um, September 9th, let's see, it was nine nine ninety nine, wasn't it? Sure was. Where were you on nine nine ninety nine? Uh, shoot. I, I guess I was in college and for all as well as that went, which it didn't go well at all. But uh, yeah, that's probably why I wasn't able to afford actually getting one. I was a junior in high school. And I definitely saw the Dreamcast everywhere, but there was no way in hell that I would be able to afford it. Though I did know that one kid who had it and was gushing about Crazy Taxi's graphics and was talking about how, like, it just completely invalidated the PlayStation 1. Which, I mean, once he played the Dreamcast, holy crap, it really was a giant leap over the PlayStation 1. It really was, but then PlayStation 2 came along and everyone just kind of gave up. Yeah, and that was that, but the... I did actually own a Dreamcast, and I'm sure we'll talk about this more in the console RPG quest. I'm sorry we didn't fast forward and do the Dreamcast console RPG quest, because it would have been, you know, appropriate given the anniversary. But, I mean, I think we're still kind of getting readjusted uh, to life after PAX and everything, so. We kind of are. Like, I I am just, like, existing on a totally different universe right now. But uh, can I recommend that you go check out some of our Dreamcast anniversary coverage over on the site? By the time this podcast is up, there should be a tribute from me, basically a fairly lengthy essay saying why the Dreamcast still matters. Mm-hmm. And it, it does, even though like it's fading from memory, there's an entire generation that really does not remember the Dreamcast no, at all. absolutely not. I mean, we got an entire generation on our staff who aren't really old enough to remember the Dreamcast for the most part. We got an entire generation on our staff that's really young and too young to remember anything anymore. It's really worrying. Those freaking babies. <laughs> oh, God. Like, it's just... Jake said something today that, that just blew my mind. I can't remember what it was. I must have he put said it he hasn't a... played in an arcade. 
yeah, no, yeah, yeah, that was Jake. What the hell? How do you not play in an arcade? Like, I mean, think about it. The guy's in his 20s. He grew up in the UK. I think he grew up in like Sheffield or something like that. No, Leeds. He grew up in Leeds. Sorry, Jake, I'm giving your entire biography on this podcast. Yeah, he grew up in Leeds. I don't know much about Leeds, but it's not London. Yeah, um, I know I know Sheffield just because of the movie Threads, but I don't know Leeds. Yeah, and so maybe they, and arcades just weren't a thing, I guess, you know? So, and you know, arcades were really dead by the late 90s, early 2000s. Yeah, they, they were pretty much, they pretty much had it. Like the only, God, even before that, the only arcade I really frequented with any sort of regularity was there was a food court in a nearby mall that had a pretty good arcade. Had a like Mega Man, the Power Fighters, Mega Man sort of power battle thing and that's where I first saw Street Fighter Alpha, and it blew my mind. The arcade that was my go-to growing up was this uh, kind of fun center called Grand Slam that was in a kind of a strip mall near my house, and it had mini golf and laser tag and bumper cars and batting cages, but also a pretty substantial uh, arcade presence. So, uh, you know, I played all the classics over there, and that was fun. And then there was also a Circus Pizza. Not Circus Circus, <laughs> Circus Pizza. So, <laughs> uh, what the hell's a circus pizza? It's basically Chuck E. Cheese's. Like they took over, oh. they took over an old Chuck E. Cheese, right? Replaced the animatronic animals, so it still had the anima- animatronic animal act, right? With the pizza and everything, and then a large room full of arcade games. That's okay. Yeah, I can see that. I can visualize that. We just had Chuck E. Cheese here, and they're always like kind of run down and broken. But uh, circus pizza, hmm. I just remember that there was a huge projection screen with Street Fighter 2 on it, and that was pretty rad. That is pretty cool. Uh, the only thing I remember about Chuck E. Cheese is it had broken glass everywhere once time <laughs> I went there. It was pretty great. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, no, go check out our Dreamcast coverage. It's fading from memory, but I think it is still matters a huge amount. It's a really interesting console just because it straddles the past and the future. Mm-hmm. It straddled the past in that it was so of the arcade generation. It still felt like a little bit of a 16-bit ar- uh, console in some ways. Yeah, yeah. It harkened har- back to... It was the last hurrah from of Sega's past, right? It sure was. But it also looked ahead to the future. I mean, it was the system that gave us NBA 2K. It had an MMORPG. It had an open-world sandbox kind of game. Uh, had online play. I mean, in so many ways, the Dreamcast was also really ahead of its time. And indie developers really are still trying to keep the flame of its kind of quirky, unique library alive. There really wasn't anything like the Dreamcast, and we will never see anything like it again. No, it was very much, as you say, like a bridge from the past to the present. It was, it was, it was its own thing. Yeah, and yet still matters. So you should go read my article as to why. And also, we surveyed a whole lot of game developers and asked them for their favorite Dreamcast games. And so we did actually uh, got an interesting response out of Tim Schaefer. Yeah, and uh, Hideaki Itsuno, uh, also Amy Hennig, a whole bunch of others. So mm-hmm. that's all there. So, all right. And uh, also, the same day as nine nine ninety nine, famously, was the big counter Final Fantasy VIII which is now available on Nintendo Switch. It came out last week as of the recording of this podcast. Nadia, what do you think? You, you're playing it. You're giving it another shot. I am definitely going to give it another shot, but I haven't been able to start yet because it packs. What? Everything, everything was such a mess this week. But Did I you not will play definitely... it on your flight home? No, here's the thing with me in flights. Um, I tend to fall asleep when the pressure changes. <laughs> <laughs> Especially since I was flying home and there on a Dreamliner, which they turn off the lights and it makes you really sleepy on purpose. So, yeah, I watched The Good Dinosaur, and that was all I managed to do. Is that movie bad? 
It's it's is really scattered. Like it had a very troubled history and it shows, but it's it's more weird than bad. I, I thought it was okay. Most people consider it by far the worst Pixar film. Yeah, that's still a pretty high bar though. But um, it's definitely not the best Pixar film. But uh, it's uh, it wasn't unwatchable. Yeah, or just to look at. Yeah, I, I mean, I, my partner watched it and I was like, "Is it worth it?" And she's like, "Nah." And I'm like, "Okay." Yeah, moving on with my life. You could probably skip it unless you're like really huge into dinosaurs like I am. I just like dinosaurs. I want your superpower though because I have to work really hard to go to sleep on a flight. Do you? Like I I just I just lights out in a second. Yeah, no, I have to basically take a little bit of CBD and mm-hmm. put on my sleep mask and put on my noise-canceling headphones and I have to like focus on sleeping. <laughs> Really? Yeah. No, I don't have to focus. I mean, I wake up with, like, I, I don't exactly get restful sleep. I wake up with a crick in my neck, but I do fall asleep. Yeah, I, I do spend a lot of time playing Switch on my various flights. I've put on my headphones. Uh, maybe I put on a show on my iPad or something like that, mm-hmm. and I'll be basically playing on two screens at once because I'm a total addict. <laughs> <laughs> didn't you just, <laughs> didn't you just like, come back from Burning Man with a new lesson on, like, you know, how we depend on screens too much, and now it's, like... Oh, yeah, I like two screens at once. Oh, yeah. But, I mean, my main lesson from that was maybe don't, you know, lay in my lay in bed in the morning and read my phone. Like, I, I've kind of banned myself from doing that. But, yeah, no, so I, I played a lot of Switch there. That's where I tend to have my moments to catch up on various games. And I actually tweeted earlier today that there are so many games on the Switch that I, I, just, I, I could stop buying games right now. And I would be good for the rest of the year and beyond. The three oh, houses alone easily. could carry me for the rest of the year. Yeah, because I still have two pathways to work through. And now the SNES uh, online has Super Nintendo games. Like, it's crazy. Yeah. And, I mean, we saw this giant deluge of ports. I mean, I mean, we might as well talk about the Nintendo Direct right now, right? I mean, yeah. The, I mean, they announced a whole lot of wish list items for RPG fans and also, like, uh, some real surprises, right? I mean, this isn't yeah. an RPG, but I couldn't believe that Jedi Academy of all games is coming out on the Nintendo Switch. Yeah, that's one that kind of whizzed by me because it was a, it was a PC game, wasn't it? I, I tweeted something incoherent. It was kind of like, oh, I heard her. <laughs> I think I saw that and I said, are you okay? Yeah. Um, <laughs> it, just imagine Dan Castellaneta going, what? Basically. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, some uh, some major highlights. Okay, first of all, Xenoblade Chronicles is not only coming to Nintendo Switch; it appears to be getting a complete remake. Yeah, it looks like it's getting like a a, a pretty significant revamp, if nothing else. Like you can see how, if nothing else, the character models are hugely improved. Um, I know at least one new area is being added. Um, I think the Bionis' shoulder was cut from the for her, from the first game, so they're re-adding that. Yeah, I so, think they're yeah. bringing back the cut content for sure. Yeah, so that's going to be pretty exciting. Um, I love Xenoblade Chronicles 2 a lot, but I, I guess I, I'm looking for any excuse to go back to the first game and give that a try again. Yeah, I think that it is being brought in line with Xenoblade Chronicles 2, like graphically. Definitely, yes. Yeah, that's pretty impressive. That's a lot of work, and I'm really glad that they're really going all out on this because I think that Xenoblade Chronicles... Uh, it was a little hard done by. It came out on Wii quite late. Mm-hmm. If I recall correctly, it came out on Wii in like maybe 2012 or thereabouts. Um, 
Yeah, 2012. Operation Rain- Rainfall was in 2011, and it was a big deal back then with the, the trio of games. And then we finally got it on Wii in 2012, or maybe even as late as 2013. And then, I mean, we all kind of, hardcore RPG fans played it, but it didn't have a mass audience, I don't feel like, because the Wii was pretty dead by 2012. Yeah, the Wii had, like, definitely worn out its welcome by then. Like, its luster was gone. Very much so. And then it came out on the 3DS for some reason. <laughs> yeah, it was actually the, the new 3DS, I guess, to kind of showcase what it could do. And great job, I guess, but um, it Port didn't run great. that great. It wasn't great. Yeah, yeah. Um, one thing that looked really bad on the 3DS and actually still looked pretty bad on the Wii was the character faces. They all looked really kind of smeary. Um, and, of course, they've just redone the models entirely, so the characters look a little more anime, but definitely a lot better to look at. Yeah, I totally agree. And as for the game itself, um, I think that it is the best in the series, and it's not particularly close. No, I still prefer 2. Just I think 2's, I liked its like range of worlds a little bit better. Uh, like Moradane and the just the different uh, islands and stuff was really interesting. I like the character designs a lot better in the original Xenoblade Chronicles. I like the sensation of being on a journey a lot better in the original Xenoblade Chronicles. It doesn't feel as cliche. I like the battle system a lot better for the most part. Um, oh, I like the second one a little better. Because of the uh, because of the characters that you can get? Yeah, like, I just had a little more fun with 2. I mean, they're both great mm-hmm. games, but... Uh, yeah, I definitely... One thing I really do prefer about 2 is the soundtrack. I mean, they both have fantastic soundtracks, oh, but 2 soundtracks Xenoblade Chronicles 1 has a great soundtrack, though. It does. Yeah, I mean, they both do. There's, there's hardly a contest here, but yeah, there's um, it, It's like choosing between oxygen and water, frankly. Por que no los dos? <laughs> yeah, there you go, pretty much. That's, uh, Play them both! That. Yeah. Uh, that's not a fun podcast argument. <laughs> <laughs> I guess not. You're Sorry. Sh- stop being so agreeable, Nadia. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I do. <laughs> you freaking Canadians. <laughs> We're too polite. No, I prefer the original because I feel like the original's battle system is a smidge more tactical, especially in the way that you have to juggle your party uh, when you're battling boss, bo- uh, bosses because things like the Monado, which is the, the big sword that kills the, the robotic enemies, are practically useless against human enemies, for example. Mm-hmm. And every character has a very clearly defined kind of niche within the party. And uh, I, I appreciate that aspect. And I was never a huge fan of the gacha as element of Xenoblade Chronicles 2, for the most part, because, uh, I don't know, I, I just didn't like the random draw aspect of it. Didn't really satisfy me that much. It's interesting, when I interviewed the makers of the game last year, I asked, why did you do that? Because it's not like you had to, um, obviously, pay any sort of hard currency or anything like that. Like, it was all luck-based. There was nothing you could do to enhance your your um, chances, even though it was a very sort of free-to-play mechanic. And they said it was basically to help promote the game on social media because they thought, well, people will be sharing the blades they got from uh, on, in the game, like, on social media, and they were right. Uh, Xenoblade Chronicles 2 actually did really, really well sales-wise. I mean, it helped that it was came out on Switch. The Switch mm-hmm. was on fire. People were, like, keen for any new game, and it was a tentpole release. Yeah, yeah, I'm looking forward to the next one, that's for sure. Hopefully it happens someday. But then again, uh, Monolith Sauce is probably working on the next Zelda right now. I hope they don't change the localization. Because a yeah, quirk me too. of the localization is that Xenoblade Chronicles came out in Europe first for some reason. Yes. So yes. it was localized over there. Everybody has a British accent. And <laughs> it's great. I think it's hilarious. 
if you ever want to see the UK team get really mad, well, they'll get they'll get mad when they have to do guides for the game because they they get furious at those accents. They say that's an American trying to do a British accent. I'm like, no, guys, this is localized in, in Britain. I'm sorry, like this is the way you sound. <laughs> they get so pissed. It's just uh, is that like the equivalent of listening to yourself on a tape recorder and going, what the hell? I guess so, but it's like it's not the kind of thing I get mad about. Like I hear like stereotypical Canadians all the time. It's like, yeah, I guess we do kind of sound like that. Whenever I go home to Minnesota. I kind of go, oh boy. Yeah, you all <laughs> oh sound like boy. Fargo. Is that what I sound like? Uh, you don't, but like I have heard Minnesotans that sound like that. But yeah, I guess uh, it's kind of funny. You just never sounded like that to me. Uh, I think it's because I've lived in California for ten years. It, it's funny though. I met uh, and when I met Eric for the first time at PAX, I said, "Where's your Texan accent?" He didn't have one. He doesn't really have one for some reason. No. So he has a mix of a little bit of a Wisconsin accent and a little bit of a Texan accent. That's true. He he grew up in Wisconsin, right? No, I think he grew up for the most part in Texas, but he grew up with Wisconsin parents. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah, that'll do it. Yeah, we're learning all kinds of things about the U.S. Gamer staff today. Jake grew up in Leeds and never played arcades. Eric <laughs> had Wisconsin parents. Yeah, there we go. Hope you don't mind just sharing your entire biography, guys. <laughs> It's an educational day here at Axe of the Blood God. All right. Let's talk about some of the other games that got confirmed. Another one, a big one, I think, is actually Divinity Original Sin 2, which is out now on Nintendo Switch. Yeah, this is probably my uh, cue to finally go play that. Oh, yeah. You should definitely go play it, Nadia. Um, And in fact, I bet I could get a code from Larian and pass it along to you because it's totally worth it. It is one of the best RPGs of the generation alongside Witcher 3. Yeah, I think Eric was saying, oh, we just play on PC. And I'm like, I am console trash. I don't care. I will play any <laughs> PC game on console. It's a great console game. It does not game. bother me. It's yeah, a, there you go. It's a perfectly fine console game. Yeah, there's no problem with that. I mean, there's a little, there's a strong point and click aspect to it, but you can totally yeah, buy with it. I, I do not mind having to do like point and click games on controllers. Some people say I'm crazy, but it does not bother me at all. And it's fine because it's a turn-based game, so you yeah, can there you go. spend a fair amount of time just going through menus and everything. It's not as intense or tactical as some of the other games out there. Yeah. Did we know this was coming to Switch? Because I could have sworn they mentioned it, and maybe not. Maybe it was a total surprise. It really came out of nowhere for me. Okay. So it must have been like, I'm, I must be thinking of Baldur's Gate because I know that's coming. Oh, yeah. I mean, everything's coming on Switch now. It was, Pretty much. That, that Direct was just a deluge of ports. It really was, except it was all like ports that I want, so I'm the problem. Yeah. I mean, I wish I had time to play Divinity Original Sin 2 again on the Switch, but I just feel like I have too many games. I mean, I want to finish Three Houses, for God's sake. I finished the <laughs> one campaign. I'm in the yeah, middle same. of Claude's campaign, and I got Super Robot Wars on there. I got Dragon Quest Eleven. I feel like I'm doing a disservice to humanity by not playing that game. I actually have to, uh, before I do much of anything else on the Switch, I need to get new Joy-Cons. The drift is just inexcusably bad on my on my system now. Are you going to get a Switch Lite? I'd like to, but I don't know. I'd rather, I- I'm not sure what I want to do. Hmm. I- I'm very much in the air about this. So yeah, Divinity Original Sin 2, that's an interesting one. Not the least because it's a, it's a co-op game. So if you get right. two copies, you could probably play with your husband. Oh, he doesn't like RPGs, but I'll make them. Uh, I mean, yeah, so the fact that it's a local co-op game, like it can just be something fun to work through. That's true. And there's a lizard. I like I like <laughs> lizards. So I like that. Said, that's me. I think the thing that's really cool about that game, aside from how tactical the battle system is, is that you can either roll your entirely unique character, 
or mm-hmm. you can pick from one of a bunch of pre pregens. Mm-hmm. And depending on what pregen you you choose, like that completely changes the dialogue and everything. It is just wow. it's a gorgeous and also really meaty RPG. And I haven't checked to see how good the the port is, but right. I kind of trust Larian. They've really built themselves up this generation. They were one of the biggest risers of the generation. And I fully expect that this is a great port. Yeah, I haven't, put it this way, I haven't seen people curse it on Twitter, so I know it must be at least perfectly competent. Okay, and the last big surprise is Sharp FE, which I guess should not be a huge surprise because it's been heavily requested by RPG fans, but we're all really excited to see it. If you're not familiar with Tokyo Mirage Sessions, it's a weird collaboration with between Nintendo and Atlas. Yes. Uh, just like what a weird world we live in now, like what the difference is between when the game first came out, no one really knew what to make of it versus now and like everyone desperately wants it. And that was like huge news yesterday. Uh, and we're talking about the space of maybe a few years, right? Like people are saying, oh, if you... If you love Persona 5, you got to get this game. And, you know, of course, the original came out before Persona 5, before Persona became this real sort of mainstream thing. So I'm glad it's getting another life. I don't think we gave it proper attention when it came out back in whenever, like three years ago, I think it was. It was about three years ago. I think Mike reviewed it and he really, really liked it. Yeah, we might have the review in the podcast archives. I haven't gone back and checked. I just know that we haven't talked about it nearly enough on this show. Well, God knows it hasn't been exactly accessible until now. <laughs> I mean, I got it. I got it on my Wii U. And Do you I, really? Yeah, yeah. That's oh, why it's one of that was one of the re- big reasons that I wasn't getting rid of my Wii U, along with the fact um, that I have the Wii Virtual Console on there. That those are two very good reasons not to get rid of your Wii U. Yeah, so I I didn't want to lose Tokyo Mirage Sessions. So I mean, I now, now you can throw it out the window. <laughs> uh, I mean. I'm getting close because I'm also going to get that PC Engine mini console that's going to have Rondo Blood on it. Oh, yeah. So, no, that's one less reason. Poor Wii U. Yeah, uh, it's it's getting close. I'm, I'm almost ready to kind of finally cut bait with the Wii U. Oh, uh, there's actually, um, my husband was playing Wonderful 101 the other day to do a, a retro review of that. And he's like, you know, one thing I have to say about the Wii U, the gamepad is so much lighter to hold. And it's like, well, yeah, that's because it feels like a cheap toy. I hate the gamepad on the Wii U. I really hated it. Yeah, I refuse to use it anymore. If for some godforsaken reason I'm playing on the Wii U, I will totally break out the Pro Controller. Yeah, I don't blame you. I rarely played on the gamepad, even when I used the Wii U a lot. It just it just felt really cheap. It feels really bulky in my hands and annoying yeah. and just not a comfortable way to play games. It's not, like, it's really good as a precursor to the Switch, but now that it's realized its final form, we don't really need it anymore. The one good thing about the Wii U still is that it has a GBA emulation. That's true, and that's one thing I would love to see on the Switch. My housemate got to play Metroid Zero Mission for the first time on oh. Wii U, because I was like, oh, you've never played Zero Mission? I got it on my Wii U, and so, like... Uh, he spent the day just playing through it in its entirety. And, I mean, obviously, I think that it's the second best Metroid, so. Yeah, it was definitely one. It was definitely up there. I really enjoyed Zero Mission a lot. It does speedrunning in a way that maybe no other game in that series does. Like, it is so sharply designed. It's really it well is. done. It is. Yeah. I know some people don't like the part where you're in your Zero Suit, but I, I just love the whole thing. I think that part is cool, and it was a really cool like 
change up to the original game. I agree. It just like really kind of it shows you what Samus is capable of because okay, everything's gone. Now here's your like crappy little stun pistol, go survive. And then you get everything back. And that was just amazing. So the nice thing about Sharp FE, it's gonna have some new story points, it's gonna have some mm-hmm. new summons. Uh Eric was saying that he spotted some three houses references in the trailer. Oh, I didn't see those. Yeah. I would, it would be nice if like Byleth or Edelgard were in there. Yeah. And it, I mean, they're adding a new song because it's very yeah, idol-based. Yeah. It has a great soundtrack. Yeah, no, it's great to have it on the uh, Switch. And assuming that I'm not in the middle of anything else, and why would I be? It'll be January when it comes out. I'm mm-hmm. totally going to pick it up and play it and give it uh, proper attention for once. Yeah, me too. Absolutely. That's a, actually, like, that's a really good time It's coming out in the middle of January because there's just nothing going on in January. Yeah, I'm super so excited, excited about that. Yeah. Okay, a couple of other notes. Uh, Pokemon Curry. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny to watch. Like the uh, the there are still some fanboys, of course, who are very angry about the national decks. You slowly have people who are coming, who are you know coming over to, to Sword and Shield as they reveal more and more about the game. But you still have people who are like, oh, so we can't have a national decks, so we can have Curry, can we? Curry decks. <laughs> That's what people are saying. It? There is a Curry decks. Sounds like an amazing troll, right? It really does. I love it. So, one of the things that we were very concerned about was the fact that it has sausages. What are those sausages sausages. made of, Nadia? What are they made of? Well, I'm kind of going through the list. It's like, okay, well, we have... um, Tepig. Tepig. We have... uh, You know what? I figure it has to be Spoink, because if I was a Spoink and I had to keep bouncing to stay alive to keep my heart pumping, I'd say, just turn me to sausages. I don't want this anymore. (laughs) Like, hopefully there'll be something else in the next life, because I can't deal with this anymore. (laughs) Poor Spoinks living a cursed existence. I love Spoink. (laughs) Spoink is one of my favorites. I'm totally over the National Dex thing at this point. I actually got to play Pokemon Sword and Shield for the first time at uh, PAX, uh, the demo. It was the same demo they always had. And I, I tried to ask them about the controversy. They shut me down, as I expected. But um, Surprise, surprise. Surprise. I really had a good time. I thought it was a fun little game, and uh, I, I look forward to the final product. And it's actually kind of crazy looking at how, looking at the little bit of footage we got the other day, just how much better the game's already looking. Like, Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It, People it who good. are, like, complaining about the pre-release screenshots are like, uh, guys, it's being fixed. Come on. It's under development. Yeah, that was, like, I can understand. Uh, that was one thing that got me really angry about the whole controversy. I understand why you're mad about the, the national decks, but don't be, like, you know, pointing out, like, glitches and stuff and saying, oh, look how look how cheap they're being. And it's like, no, it's under development, guys. The game's a demo. What do you want? Yeah, I'm, I'm like, 90% retired from hardcore Pokemon play at this point anyway, because I just don't have time to raise up old monsters. But, you know, at a certain point, it's going to have at least some compatibility. So I'll be able to bring up uh, around some, at least some of my old monsters. Oh, absolutely. And until then, there's Curry. Yeah, no, exactly. It looks like a fun game. Well, it's Pokemon. Who cares? It looks like fun, except I don't understand what the deal is with Curry and Berries in it. I'd be... That's just... I want. I just want the Battle Frontier back as my main thing. Give me a National Dex and a Battle Frontier. I would like to see the Battle Frontier come back. I, I would like that very much. So they showed Little Town Hero, which is another game yeah. by Game Freak. Do you, do, do you have any thoughts on that one? It looks really good. I'm looking forward to that. That is next month sometime, I think. And number one, soundtrack by Toby Fox, so I'm on board. Um, I think Undertale soundtrack is one of the best RPG soundtracks ever composed. And... Um, Honestly, Game Freak, like, they have shown us that several times over that they can make perfectly great games outside of Pokemon, and people need to give them more of a chance at them. I just, I guess, yeah, I'm sure it'll be okay, 
but it kind of looks like an RPG for babies. Sorry. <laughs> How do you know? You haven't played it yet. I don't know. It has that. So there's that very specific type of anime that is kind of made for young children. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, the Inazuma 11 look, for example, the level five look. Level five. Okay. Yeah, I see what you mean. Yeah, it definitely has that kind of level five look to it that I find kind of tiresome, actually. <laughs> I don't like that but- look. But then you have like, you know, like Pocket Card Jockey looks like a, a total Saturday morning cartoon, and that game will just shred your soul. Now, Pocket Card Jockey was hilarious and that was a great game. <laughs> surprisingly dark, and it was cutesy, but it didn't have that Saturday morning cartoon look that Little Town Hero does. Those horses were so cute. I'm judging a book by its cover. So yes, you are. Yeah, I'm being very judgy. Uh, so, but it has music by Toby Fox. So there you go. It does. Yeah, uh, that is definitely a selling point, I think. Stealthily big direct for the for Undertale, given that also there's a character costume available now. I am surprised at how crazy people went over that costume. It's, like, if it was a... It's not even a character, it, it's just a costume. I know. If it was revealed, by all means, like, sure, I'd be like, whoa, that's amazing. But, now, don't get me wrong, it's an adorable costume. I love the little gaster blaster on Sansa's arm, that's adorable. But, um, and a new Megalovania mix is pretty cool, too. But it's it's a costume. Like, okay, I understand Japan has been asking for songs for a very, very long time. So, hmm, maybe we'll get him in future DLC. I mean, Sakurai already confirmed that he is never going to sleep again because there is more DLC coming after, this, after these first five are done with. See, I'd be more upset about him being in this game because it would seem to preclude him being a proper DLC fighter. Has there ever been an instance of uh, someone getting a costume and then not becoming a DLC fighter? I can't remember can't think of any I thought, there, I thought there was an instance of someone who became like a costume and then was like an actual dlc fighter but yeah i, I would still like to see sans in there but of course there's like other undertale characters i guess you could put in there if you really wanted to all right and the last point and the big one this is the big one is uh-huh. super nintendo games coming to nintendo switch as we already yeah. mentioned yes. uh i this kind of makes me hope just a tiny bit that Square Enix's catalog will be on there as well, but I don't think that Square will willingly surrender its games for free. Probably not. Um, but I still hold out hope that we, given how, this is something I just wrote on the site, it's up right now, If you, uh, but of course by the time this goes up it'll have been there for a few days, but I just wrote an article about how uh, we actually got some pretty rare games for the first, like, opening salvo, which is, I was not expecting. Like, Stunt Race FX is um, not easy to find. It's never been on virtual console, as far as I know. Uh, Breath of Fire was never on virtual console. Breath of Fire 2 was. Uh, so there is a possibility that my dream will come true, and I will see some quintet games on there, please, finally. Thank you. I'm really hoping. I, I'm. I am excited to see Breath of Fire, Fire on there. Uh, is the original worth playing, or should people wait for one of the later ones? Uh, Breath of Fire is definitely one of those series that is so freaking flawed, but I just love it. Um, the first game is okay. I, I like the second one a lot better, even though it's got like a crazy encounter rate. Uh, three, of course, is my favorite. Four, I was never a huge fan of, but some people absolutely adore it. Five is definitely the most controversial out of all of them. Yeah, I'd say give it a try. I mean, it's not like you have to pay for it, <laughs> right? <laughs> well, the That's next nice game thing. on our console RPG quest is, in fact, the Super Nintendo. And yes. the Super Nintendo obviously has such an insanely rich RPG legacy that you would hope to see at least a few games uh, available on Nintendo Switch Online. 
Yeah, definitely. Like, um, there's plenty of uh, games that just did not uh, come out in the Virtual Console or were just, you know, didn't come out on the Wii U Virtual Console and are lost to the Wii Virtual Console, like uh, Lufia games. I'd love to see those come over. Oh, yeah. Lufia 2 would be a great one, wouldn't it? Yeah, pretty much. Sinistrals yeah, of that. Doom. Uh, there was another game on there that I'm trying to remember where there are like seven characters. I keep thinking Seventh Guest, but that's the adventure game. No, I know the one you're talking about. The yeah. one that was originally an Amiga game, right? Yeah, and it's super duper hard. <laughs> Was it Draken? No, no. Um, anyway, there are so many Super Nintendo games that we're not we're not hard up for ones, but I. So I'm just waiting for Square Enix to finally freaking buckle and release the ultimate collection for Nintendo Switch of Final Fantasy games. I now see. I would buy that because if we if they gave us like just a really good collection that's full of like all the retro Final Fantasy games, like ported properly i would buy it one through one through 12 oh that would be fantastic oh my god whatever they're asking i'd pay it like an idiot don't 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 worry about 13 or 15 or whatever like people will be complaining but yeah, who cares one through 12 is a is a dang good one a dang good range i agree uh, especially if you bring in like some of the better um as an option some of the better ports like the psp version of final fantasy 4 yes i'd love to see that again no, the cursed version of it would be that they would be releasing the Steam versions of 4, 5, and 6. <laughs> that would be the worst thing in the universe. Oh, my God. They'd be like, um, that's that's a monkey paw situation if I've ever seen one. But they gotten so much crap over Chrono Trigger for Steam that, you know, maybe they wouldn't try that again, but who knows. Okay, that's our Nintendo Direct recap. You can find the rest of our coverage over on the site. Uh, very exciting. Lots of great stuff coming out. Especially, I think Xenoblade Chronicles I am the most excited about, but also uh, Tokyo Mirage Sessions and Divinity Original yes. Sin 2 certainly is going to be overlooked if you haven't played that one. Uh, the blood got approved of all of these choices. They are good choices. The RPG uh, bandwagon goes on on the Switch. All right, let's continue on to Iceborne. Okay, Nadia, my Iceborne review is up on the site. I gave it a 4.5 out of 5. I mean, it could have mm-hmm. been a 5, probably. It is an enormous expansion. It is a really, really, really big expansion. Yeah, you were busy with it for a very long time. They gave it to me like a month ahead of time. Which is great. Yeah, I mean, it's a relief because I wouldn't have been able to do it otherwise. That's true. I mean, there are, there's so much to do in there. Like... Uh, I saw the complete list of monsters. There's something like almost 30 monsters just in this expansion alone. Wow, and those are all new monsters? Uh, no. There uh-huh. there are a few new ones. Maybe like five or six. Uh-huh. Uh, and then there are a lot of imports from previous games because Monster Hunter is right. kind of like Pokemon. In of that course. You'll bring in a previous one like Tigrex and people will be like, oh my god, Tigrex is back. Woo! Right? That's true. The world didn't have world was missing a lot of the a lot of old monsters that I think some people are a little bit upset about. So it's good to see that um, that uh, Monster Hunter World is getting kind of a national dex of its own. And, I mean, Monster Hunter has long kind of had its own national dex. The main thing is it doesn't try to put every single one, cram every single one of them exactly. into every release. Yeah, maybe Pokemon much. set unrealistic expectations. Maybe just a little thousand thousand monsters. <laughs> But also, they remix a whole bunch of the ones from the original Monster Hunter World. 
That's cool. So, for example, um, the Nergagante is one of the headliners from the original <clears throat> Monster Hunter World. He's he's a very tough. He's the Elder Dragon Killer. Right. Okay, I remember him. Yes. Yes. He he's a pain. Uh, but one of the coolest encounters in the entire game. One of the mm-hmm. things that I love about Monster Hunter is the way that it takes these set pieces and makes them totally organic versus mm-hmm. so many games that have these really stiff artificial set pieces that do absolutely nothing for me. Yeah, um, even though I didn't play Monster Hunter nearly as much as you did, uh, I still appreciate certain things like that, like using the fireflies instead of just you know having an arrow point you in the direction you're supposed to go and you need to go somewhere on the map. Stuff like that I loved. Well, when you're fighting the Nurgagante, you start at the top of the Elder's Recess, and then you just battle it all the way down into the very belly of it. That's cool. And then you get into its lair, and it will jump into the shadows and shatter the wall, and you won't uh-huh. see it for a moment. And then it'll come leaping out, and there's a good chance it'll kill you if you don't dodge out of, the, out of the way. And it's an amazing moment, right? Yeah, that is terrifying, though. Simi- and similarly... There's uh, an import from a previous game, I think from Generations. Its name is the Baryoth. It's kind of like a saber-toothed tiger kind of guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's got these big old claws. He will scrabble around on the ice. He, like, he spins around like a whirly gig of death, right? Mm-hmm. And Sweet. if he hits you and pounces you with a very specific attack and knocks you down, he, the camera will tilt up into a kind of a Dutch angle and you're looking right into its eyes as it stands over you and you're like on your butt and you're just like, oh my God. And you're just kind of scrabbling away as fast as possible. That stuff is brilliant. Up. It's so great. So is it like, um, I, I, one thing I noticed looking at the, the art direction for this one is you're looking more like more mammalian almost looking monsters versus the reptilian kind of reptilian uh, monsters from previous monster hunter games like i almost get the impression that it's like you know dinosaur age versus ice age just uh as a rough estimate well it's cold <laughs> uh, it is damn cold <laughs> <laughs> it turns out that reptiles don't like the cold well some of them have like the anginath has a nice fur coat it's true and in fact the fulgur anginath kind of does actually have a fur coat in this one uh, that's one of the the variants in the, the original base version, the Anginanth is like a fire type, and yeah. in this one, it's an electric type. That's pretty cool. That's, uh, well, there, there used to be dinosaurs in the Antarctic. Of course, it wasn't as cold then, but uh, it was still pretty damn cold. I didn't know that. Really? Yeah. They're, 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 they have found fossils of dinosaurs in, like, dinosaurs with, like, really puffy coats, like, you know, feather coats uh, in, in the Antarctic. So, Isn't that cool? I mean, that is pretty wild, and it just goes to show how widespread uh, dinosaurs were and actually how little we know about them, give, even though they existed for twice as long as mammals. Yeah, so there's a pretty good array, and even the monsters that end up getting recycled a little bit, uh, it doesn't feel too overbearing in terms of being recycled. Like, the Viper Toby Kadachi, yeah, it's just a Toby Kadachi again, which is kind of like this little furret guy. <laughs> I remember that thing. Yep. Little bastard. One of the earliest monsters in Monster Hunter World. Yes. Yeah, the Toby Kadachi has... It's kind of like an electric type in this one. Uh, in this one, I think it's a poison type. Right. Well, viper, I guess. Yeah, it's a viper or whatever. And they move in roughly the same uh, kind of motions, but they have some different animations. And just by virtue of the fact that it's a, an entirely different type... Uh, mm-hmm. the, the remix helps but it's a lot more fun to fight totally monsters that I'm totally unfamiliar with like uh, there's a guy from god probably Monster Hunter Portable 3rd I want to say <laughs> <laughs> 
There are a lot of monster hunters at this point. Uh, oh, yeah. It's called the Glaveness. And it's this giant T-Rex guy uh-huh. with this giant kind of blade on its tail. Sweet. And it will just come crashing down and you have to dodge out of the way. Because if it gets you, it's going to really hurt. And later on, you fight the acidic Glaveness, which is in the Rotten Vale. And that guy... Uh, I've, so I, I played a lot of games with a Capcom representative because so a lot of these monsters just... I was having a hard time soloing some of these guys. I bet, yeah. Yeah, and so they were, they were giving me a hand, and we just completely bossed the acidic glaveness. I almost felt bad for it, honestly. <laughs> Aww. Yeah. Hey, he was such a big target. And in Monster Hunter and Iceborne, they give you a new, a new toy. It's called the Clutch Claw. Yeah, I've, I've seen that. That looks pretty cool. Yeah, there's a bit of a risk-reward to it, because if mm-hmm. you can stagger a monster... You can attach to it and then get a free attack on it. And right. you can keep doing that. And you can do a fair amount of damage that way. And if you and if you have some slinger ammo in your slinger, uh-huh. you can smack it on the head so it turns toward a wall. Empty all of your slinger <laughs> ammo into it. And it'll go running into the wall and then slam into it for like 900 damage. Ouch. Poor thing. Yeah, so now it's concussed. Aww. Yeah, it's it's like an NFL player, and that's when you can just completely wail on it. NFL, I guess NFL players are lucky that like the fans don't come onto the uh, field and start whacking them away while they're concussed. <laughs> there's Get nothing. Coat. There's seriously nothing more satisfying than a monster's in retreat. You manage to catch its tail with your with your clutch claw, climb all the way to the top of its head, turn it, and then ram it right into a wall and just knock it down. <laughs> Wow, that's some like Shadow of the Colossus stuff right there. I mean, that I mean, Monster Hunter has a lot in common with Shadow of the Colossus. These majestic beasts. Yeah, yeah that's true. I think the funny thing about Iceborne and Monster Hunter in general is that they're they're kind of like, wow, these majestic beasts. We must protect them by killing them. <laughs> I've always wondered about that. Like, maybe it's like those people who say, well, the only way to conserve uh, trophy animals is to trophy hunt them, which I never really got, but. Well, one of, a big driver of the story is that, uh, and I apologize if this is spoilers, I don't think the story of Monster Hunter is that big of a deal, but I guess not you should really. be aware of it. This this is the general premise, I guess you could say. I'm not going to go any further than that. And I'll say that uh, the main villain is this thing called the Valkana, mm-hmm. which is this icy elder dragon that is new to Iceborne. And it is throwing the ecosystem out of balance by just being a dick. <laughs> like you do it's just freezing everything over it's a jerk it's flying around okay. it's getting overpowered it's messing everything up and so you got to kill the Valkana because you're defending the ecosystem which is fair but you're still like killing monsters to like get you know stuff for your your fancy coat <laughs> yes no it, it, that's true uh, and I still feel real bad that I'm killing these majestic creatures some of them I just some of them are dicks and I just want to kill them the others are like oh why am I killing this guy he's just minding his own business there's one thing when Monster Hunter World first came out I wrote a little bit about that saying how well yeah it, it's you know it doesn't always feel great but at the same time it, it also feels really good because I think we always have that that primitive instinct to do that sort of thing and maybe it's better we do it in a video game than like go around killing you know, elephants and, and lions and stuff. True that. I mean, it goes back to our tribal ancestors who had 
chase after animals over long distances and just fill them up with spears until they died, then the tribe will eat well tonight, right? Yeah, then that's very, like, I have to say one thing, that's one thing about Monster Hunter uh, World that they got really right was the fact that, you know, that was a way of hunting. We'd wound an animal and just, we could out, we could outwalk them. That was the best defense we had. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it, if you ever, you should go check out a YouTube video. It's one of my favorite YouTube channels. It's called Tear Zoo. Mm-hmm. And it basically puts animals into tears like fighting games or Smash Brothers. <laughs> And it has a lot That's of, a uh, like, really great anim- video game kind of animations with everything, really well edited together. And they do a great job of explaining what made humans so OP, and that was that we can sweat. That's right. We can, we can sweat all over. We can cool off a lot faster and a lot easier than other animals, can't we? Yes, so we can cool off really efficiently while we're running, which gives us stamina. So whereas, a, for example, a cheetah can run very fast over a very short distance... We can just keep going and going and going and going, right? And eventually yeah, an animal yeah. will slow down, and then that's when we get it. Yeah, we're like the Terminators of the biological world. <laughs> they, they never coming. stop coming. They, they don't feel. They just, nope, they just keep on going. Uh, but I was, at one point, I was just kind of gathering stuff in the ancient forest. Because you do go back to the, the previous environments. You don't spend all that's of cool. your time in the Horfrost Reach. And I saw this thing called the Nargakuga. Mm-hmm. And it's like this big old bat wyvern thing. It's a little bigger than you. It's very fast, kind of pretty vicious, real kind of actually, it, it gave me some trouble, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just saw it walking through, minding its own business. And it was actually a really cool moment because, you know, I'm walking through the forest and then suddenly the camera tilts and I see it walking, like stalking past through the foliage. And then it turns to me and kind of like makes this <laughs> and then it just keeps going. And all I could think was, oh, it's totally minding, minding its own business. Yeah, that sounds like a dude just leave alone. I mean, if he tried to attack you, that'd be one thing. But he was just like telling you to F off. And you shouldn't really kill someone for telling you to, for, you know, for because they tell you to F off, I guess, if you want to. But. Well, sometimes they like really get to be annoying because like the Baryoth or the Tigrix will mm-hmm. show up uninvited into battles same with the basil juice and you're like no go away i don't need your help on this one (laughs) (laughs) but you're giving them a head start on their on their foes right yeah well sometimes they will help sometimes all they'll do is get owned and then run away (laughs) (laughs) hi guys i want to play too oh yeah exactly so suffice it to say there are a ton of monsters in this one and every monster is just loaded with personality so beautifully illustrated, so beautifully animated, so much fun to fight. Uh, you ha- Every battle feels like this tooth and nail battle to the death. And I think that's what makes Monster Hunter World really special. It is an amazing game. And I, I have to say that the, the Palico's winter wear is so cute. So cute, right? Oh, oh my, my god. god. It's ridiculous. I know they already have fur, but then they got more fur, and it's just like, <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, I mean, I kept the jacket layered armor on the entire game. Because it looked cool? Yeah, because it looked cool. I liked it. Yeah. That's good. I actually didn't upgrade my armor that much throughout the game. I didn't really feel the need to. Um, I have like I had some endgame armor from my previous run. Um, right. I had a pretty full Naragagante set. And I just really liked the abilities that it gave me. Mm-hmm. So one of the big things about Iceborne is that it introduces master rank. 
Right. And master rank stuff is like an entire new tier of armor. It kind of invalidates a lot of your old gear. Uh, also, it gives you new stuff to work toward, basically. And then also there's an entirely new tier of weapons as well. So there's a totally new tier of... Uh, so I have the Extermination's Edge, which is a, a, a long sword, which was built off the Nero Gigante. And it has another level above that. So I didn't really want to bother going for other swords because... Yeah. I mean, actually yeah, getting a I new weapon... I ask you about that. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, just like, you know, you're talking about how you don't really have... To, you didn't really upgrade that much. And it's like, you don't really need to. You really kind of just maxed the hell out of the previous Monster Hunter world. Like, you just did everything there was to do. Like, no real need to, to upgrade. Yeah, I, I did pretty much have top tier armor. Like, maybe there was better stuff that came out with the some of the DLC expansions and such. Uh-huh. Uh, especially, like, uh, it seemed like the Devil Joe stuff was good, but... Right. One of the things about Monster Hunter World is that you're not just optimizing for pure stats. Uh, abilities play a huge role in it as well. True. Yeah, because the abilities confer perks. You, the ability to set decorations is a big thing, and that can really help you min-max your entire build, whether you're building it around like uh, critical hits or, or just mm-hmm. raw damage or uh, el- what kind of elemental damages and that kind of thing. So there were swords that were more powerful but I liked the Extermination's Edge because it has an ability called Elder Seal, which mm-hmm. I believe does more damage to uh, Elder Dragons and that kind of thing. So, like, it has it has an advantage against top-tier enemies, and so I didn't really want to right. get rid of that. That's fair. So we were well-equipped to begin with. And also the damage wasn't that so much higher that I was going to spend a ton right. of stuff on it. Do you think you're going to spend, uh, like, hours on this DLC the way you spent hours on the, the core game? I mean, if I have time, if, like if I can, I mean, like yeah, I'm going to be really busy, but I would like to keep playing it, especially because I'm sure that a lot of Monster Hunter people are going to come back. Right. That's right. The game's not even out yet, or it did it just come out? Uh, should be out now. Okay. So yeah, you're going to have like a bunch of people, like just kind of like kids running into the playground. And you already have the coolest, po- uh, like coolest plot in the sandbox. Yeah, no, pretty much. I, d- I did get some stuff. Like I upgraded uh, some my armor using like some Glaiveness stuff. A uh, few other things because they mm-hmm. had roughly the same abilities as my Nargigante armor, and I didn't lose too many of the perks that I was getting from before, and it up it upped my defense just enough. Right. But raw stats, I mean, they certainly matter, but I would say abilities matter as much or even more. So you got to be pretty circumspect about your build. Yeah, it's uh, it's like uh, listening to all this wants me to go back to playing Monster Hunter World. But it's like God, who has the time? Yeah, I mean it is a real grind. That's the thing; it's super time consuming. <laughs> Pretty much, and also I'd have to f- somehow make space on my PlayStation Four, which is already like bursting full. Yeah, one of the reasons that I'd, I'd say abolish the next generation. We got we we got a lot of catch up from this past generation. I agree. Uh, we should. This is the new law. This is, we we have the authority to make this law. No more new generations until we all catch up on this one. <laughs> The reason I wanted to give this game, this expansion to Bob Mackey, a uh, friend of the show, mm-hmm. uh, over at Talking Simpsons, is that he is a big Monster Hunter guy. And I just, I really didn't actually have time to review it, but he right, was I able, remember that. He wasn't able to take it, and I'm pretty much the only one on the staff besides uh, our writer, our guides writer, Kieran Cryer, who had real, like, any time to take it, so. Right, that's right, because it was really going to be for Mackie, and then he couldn't take it, so we were like, uh, what do we do now? Because besides, like, I think Mike knows a bit more than I do, but I don't know nearly as much as you do. Mike 
did not get that far in, in MHW. And right. Katie didn't like it. And I have no idea if Eric played it. So I, I was definitely the, Hiran and I were definitely the ones who loved Monster Hunter the most. Right, right. And you especially. Hiran got, well, Hiran got even further than I did. Did he really? Yes, he, he because in the endgame content um, of the original build, there are two milestones. One is you fight two basil juices at once, uh-huh. uh, tempered Jeez. basil juices. And then another uh-huh. one is you fight two of the these lightning guys. They, they shoot, <laughs> it's not the Tobikodachi, they shoot lightning. Right. And a lot of people are like, these guys are total pains in the ass because they can just one-shot you with their lightning shots. Uh-huh. So I never got that far. Right. But even though I never got that far, I was definitely high enough. And so the game just immediately throws you into master rank once you get Iceborne. Mm-hmm. It is technically endgame content. You have to finish the game to get there. So, Right, that makes sense. So yeah, you can't just pick it up and start playing. Um, but I mean, one of the big complaints about the original Monster Hunter world was that it felt a little thin in terms of monsters. It had about 31 or so monsters. Iceborne almost doubles that count. Yeah, I remember that being one of the main complaints of the first game is that it did feel a little bit thin, but that seems to not be a problem anymore. It could certainly have more unique monsters. It recycles a little bit too much, which is a Monster Hunter tradition. But at the same uh-huh. time, I would be angrier if it was just old monsters with better stats, you know? Yeah, exactly. So it sounds like they did a really good job. Yeah, no, I mean, they did an amazing job. And it's such a... The reason I like this game is that so many games are mindless. And yes, I give Mike a lot of crap for liking Ubisoft <laughs> games. And you do. Yes. Because I think Ubisoft games are super mass market and are aimed at a very specific like mindset of turn your brain off and just kind of you don't even play the game, you just kind of absorb the content. Which is fine if that's what you like. If, if that's what you want to do. I just life is too short to passively uh, to passively absorb stuff. Yeah, life is too short to do anything except like really go toe to toe against monsters that it can slice you open. Yeah, I just my personal preference is, and this is why I love RPGs. Honestly, mm-hmm. is I like a game that makes me think, a game that I really have to put a lot of time and investment into. Because if I'm not invested in it, then I'm just wasting my time. I'm just, it's just a pointless waste of time. Yeah. So, yeah. and then Monster Hunter, you know, it's a it's a super. It's an often very hard game. Does so much to put me in the moment. And like I said, there's nothing like it. Uh, it's just one big old boss rush against a lot of really creative and interesting monsters, full of personality. Feels like the series has a ton of history at this point. It's mm-hmm. a lot of. It's a great co-op game. Um, I'm actually going to be picking up Destiny tonight, and I don't know why, except that I want to hang out with a friend of mine online and play. <laughs> but beyond that, yeah. like I think Destiny is boring as sin. Right. But it's uh, a good game to hang out with, as you say. Because mm-hmm. it's designed to, you're just hanging out with a friend, and you're just kind of mindlessly shooting things. And yeah, like there's some depth to it, but it's really kind of rote, honestly. <laughs> it's pretty boring. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure Destiny really fans are like frothing more. at the mouth at the moment. Look, I just don't like shooters. What do you want? <laughs> I, I agree with you. Don't worry. Um, I, I should really play with more friends, but that's why I'm trying, trying to get more into Final Fantasy fourteen. but it's a matter of finding the time. Yeah, well, the nice thing about Iceborne uh, and Monster Hunter in general is that even if you're not playing with friends, you can always summon people into your game pretty easily. That's true. Just 
fire out a flare and get rescued. It's a little bit of a Dark Souls kind of vibe. Yeah. Then there's always people who are eager to help you. I think the thing that I really like about it is that it demands mastery, kind of like the Souls games, in that every weapon is unique and requires some real thought, right? Right. Like, I'm using a longsword, and theoretically, that should be pretty straightforward, right? Yeah. But if you just kind of try to whack away with it, you're going to feel so awkward, and you're going to have a hard time. Yeah, I think I bounced off the longsword pretty fast when I first tried a Monster Hunter World. Because what you got to do, you have to understand the mechanics involved. You got to combo up until you build your spirit gauge to the point that you can Mm -hmm. use a specific kind of combo, which then sends its power level to the next level, and you keep doing that. And then that unlocks new additional moves. And then also Iceborne adds even further moves where, like, you can combo, and then you can hit i think l2 and like x and your character will sheathe their sword it was r2 uh-huh. and x whatever and then if you time it just right you can do like a lot of damage um that's cool i like the timing aspects of it i like the combo aspects and when if you really get it right you just feel like such a freaking ninja you feel like such a badass <laughs> in this game monster hunter ninja i'd play it yeah i would i'd give it a try i'd suck at it but i'd give it a try Anyway, that's my pitch for Monster Hunter. I think Monster Hunter World is one of the best games of the generation. It elevated the series uh, from kind of this niche portable experience that nobody was really paying attention to except people in Japan and then like the hardcore community over here in the U.S. to completely mainstream, I want to say. Mm-hmm. And it, there's nothing else like it. And so I'm just going to keep playing Monster Hunter. It's my, it's my multiplayer game of choice. And the only reason I'm playing Destiny is because I kind of want to feel like up on it. But if I weren't, you know, if I if I weren't in the games press, Monster Hunter would be the game I'd be playing. That's fair. And I'm sure that Capcom will be happy to provide more and more Monster Hunter to come in the future. Because this one sure did sell a million zillion copies. So even if it's not a traditional RPG, whatever, it's going to appeal to RPG fans. The Blood God recommends it. You should play it. Iceborne. All right. Nadia, let's go on to the mailbag. Okay, Nadia, let's talk. take some mailbag questions. Last time, we actually did just a straight-up mailbag, and we also talked about Oninaki and Dragon Quest XI Switch. And here are what the comments are saying. Uh, Kiro Seta says, I just wanted to say that I recently finally started playing Persona 4 after being inspired by Nadia's Persona 4 Golden Report. I'm enjoying it so far, and I'm really thankful to Blood God for turning me onto a series that I would never have given any time of day if not for your effusive praise. In a similar vein, I just downloaded the Dragon Quest XI demo a few days ago. Aside from a few hours of progress on Dragon Quest V inspired by Jeremy Parrish's recommendations on Retronauts, this will be my first Dragon Quest. My seven-year-old son saw me downloading it and said, Wait, wait, there's a Dragon Quest Builders Eleven? <laughs> I wish. He was disappointed to learn the truth. He's quickly becoming enamored with DQ Builders 2 after we downloaded that demo. That's a great game to play with your kids. That would be actually a really fantastic game to play with your kids, especially when you get to the, the central island portion and you can just build whatever you want, wherever you want. That would be a lot of fun. Uh, Sammy J9 says, Dragon Quest is a good example of games that are overall more lighthearted and fun, but often have smaller moments of serious tragedy and pathos to them. A lot of the little vignettes the series is known for are tragedies. In Dragon Quest XI, I was surprised at how hard several points of the game hit me. Trying not to be spoilery, there's a very sad plot line with a mermaid that's pretty self-contained. 
There's a massive event that separates the first chunk of the game from the second that goes a lot further than I expected in a DQ game and has massive consequences. There's also a very serious scene late in the game where you find out what happened to a certain character you haven't seen in a while, and I honestly teared up, which I almost never do. And there's another with a mother involving a volcano. I could go on, but DQ11 is as great as this, as is the series as a whole. I would, I'm sure you would agree with that, Nadia. Yeah, there's actually something that recently happened uh, regarding uh, Dragon Quest Builders 2, which I would say is mostly kid-safe, but of course then, you know, it's Dragon Quest. Uh, someone was saying, like, why did I go from, like, building this fun desert town to, like, throwing down, throwing bodies in a crematorium? <laughs> it's like, this is Dragon Quest, that's why. Jeez, that's dark. <laughs> it was pretty dark, but there you go. Uh, Drakmalius says the things that are probably a hard truth for Tokyo RPG Factory. Hard to justify getting Oninaki when that Dragon Quest XI Switch version is right around the corner. Yeah, that's what it really comes down to. It's really a darn shame, because I, I do think they're getting it, but how many developers get a chance to try again and again and again before they finally get it? Um, I'm actually surprised they've had this many chances so far. I mean, it helps when you have Square Enix behind you and its marketing budget. <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, like, most developers, I guess good for Square Enix for, like, saying, okay, well, just keep going at it, but they must be working on, like, zero budget, but uh, just most developers by this point would be like, okay, well, this isn't working out. Well, I don't want them to give up, because I I want new IPs, and I want new ideas, and I want them to keep making RPGs, and maybe something special will come out of it, you know? Yeah, that's what I'm really hoping for, because I think the potential is there. I just, I'm just worried that they'll get cut off before that happens, but uh, hopefully it doesn't. Yeah, I thought Oninaki was a, is a step forward to having their own vision, and I thought that was great, and definitely had better production values this time around. Yeah, I'm really hoping they nail it the next time. They could. It's, it's getting there. But beyond that, I mean, the Switch has so many good games, as we were already yeah. kind of saying, and there's so many games, and it's the, co- the competition is so cutthroat, and everything is so franchise-focused that unless you are amazing, you're going to have a hard time. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And Drinking with Skeleton has the correct take. Final Fantasy X is not just better than FF10, it is a top-tier entry in the series. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go, Cat. You're justified. Thank you, Skeleton. And your discussion of the Mana games was very interesting. It took many years to grasp the ending of the fairy demon arc in that game, but I now recognize it as one of the saddest presentations of failure in games. All right, and this final one is from Eli Fitch. Been listening to Acts of the Blood God for a few months now, and I'm thoroughly enjoying it. I was curious, what are some RPGs that stick out of your memory as being particularly of an era? RPGs that are emblematic of their time. Hmm. Well, I mm. here, here's a here's one definitely Wild Arms. Uh-huh. Wild Arms, most certainly. Uh, that was a very in between RPG because you had your your anime intro, of course. You had your sprite graphics, which weren't like a huge step up from the SNES, but were pretty good nonetheless. And then you had your polygon based battle system. It was very much kind of we don't know what we want to be, so we're just going to be all three of these things at once. Yeah, it was that super awkward step forward into the next generation uh, before Final Fantasy VII came out. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, there's a lot of PlayStation RPGs that just kind of had that, not necessarily Wild Arms, because once Final Fantasy VII came along, like, you know, as you said, it kind of redefined the way RPGs were for that generation. I was thinking for some reason Legend of Dragoon. I mean, there's some games that really <laughs> just are emblematic of a very particular style at the time, like Shadow Hearts, for example, games that definitely peaked on their particular console and then never appeared again after that. Yeah, you're right. Shadowheart. There's a there's a, ter- a name I haven't heard in, in ages. Now, there's a name I haven't heard in a long time. 
a there long you go. time. <laughs> Sitting in a bar drinking somewhere. <laughs> Lufia for the Super Nintendo? Yep, yep. Lufia is a good one. Um, yeah, there's a... It's hard to think of any off the top of my head beyond Wild Arms, but yeah. I understand what the question means because, mm. yeah. Yeah, my, my first thought was, well, like Final Fantasy VII. But then I thought, well, what about games that just are self-contained in that particular point in time, right? Right. Uh, Ultima, for example. Ultima is the 80s to me. Yeah, that's a that's a good one for just to represent the 80s. Kind of had that, um, I feel like, yeah, RPGs back then kind of had a very, like, almost a certain color to them. And Ultima was like, a, a good like uh, starting point for all of that certainly a great flavor to it right i mean exactly yes <laughs> when i think ultima i think 80s pc rpgs dungeon crawling but also developers who want to push the absolute limits of the boundary even though they have basically no resources or no memory yeah and um the snes before it really kind of took off as an rpg machine with square in the lead uh we were talking about like some of those old uh Seventh Saga, that was the game we yes. were thinking of. Not Seventh Guest. That had, like, kind of those... Seven, <laughs> not Seventh Guest. <laughs> that kind of had that, like, you know, RPG... That kind of uh, PC RPG trying to be on the SNES uh, look and feel to it, which it didn't always work out that well, but that's what RPGs were on the SNES at first. Do you remember the Square Enix... Uh, the Squaresoft Summer of Adventure in 2000? Oh, geez, that's... What was that? That was, that like, was Threads of Fate. That was when Chrono Cross yes. came out. Yes. Uh, I think Legend of Mana came out around that time. That, oh, boy. That, that yeah. era was play, PlayStation as F. It, it very much was, for, for better or for worse. Like, I loved Chrono Cross, but I did not like Legend of Mana. But God, that, that game looked gorgeous. By the way, uh, that, that, was a great ep- that's a great idea for an episode, by the way, which is just to go through every era and pick out the RPGs of that particular era. Though I guess we're kind of doing that with console RPG Quest, aren't we? We are, but like if we ever want to just kind of highlight the the ones that really defined that particular moment in time, like really narrow down to one or two games, it's uh, something we could consider in the future. Uh, keep this one in your back pocket as well, Nadia. Ranking mm-hmm. the protagonists of Final Fantasy. That would be a lot of fun. I'd love to do that. We talk uh, too much about our fan- uh, about Final Fantasy on this podcast as it is, um, mostly because we have a lot of experience with it and we end up going back to it a lot, and you know. It- still has a huge presence in the RPG space. So I'm a little reluctant yeah. to do it, but at the same time, it would be a fun thought exercise because I think that a great protagonist in Final Fantasy is not the same as having a great Final Fantasy because, I in agree. my opinion, there's one protagonist that there I would not put their game at the top, but I would put them at the Who is it? Cecil. Yeah, you know what? I, I can agree with that because Cecil, to me, embodies everything that like an RPG hero is. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's um, just a perfect Final Fantasy hero, in my opinion. He really is. You're right. And I still think his quest for redemption is, is not only, like, quintessential RPG, like, lore by itself, but just, it, it's it's fun. It's, it's It embodies, like, RPG class changes. It's, no, I agree. I, I see where you're coming from. Similarly, uh, I think Final Fantasy XII was one of the best, but I put Vana near the bottom. Yeah, exactly. Like, if it was a game about Balthier and, like, Fran, they'd be at the top. For sure. Oh, my God, that would be so <laughs> yeah. fun. That would be Final amazing. Fantasy twelve too. Make it happen. Vaughn goes and sits down while the adults do a thing. All right. Acts of Blood God is a US Gamer Podcast. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever podcasts are sold. Thanks for listening. As usual, if you want to contact me, I'm at the underscore capot. Nadia's at Nadia Oxford. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast. Lots of great articles over on US Gamer. Go check out our Dreamcast anniversary 
coverage. We will be back next week, as always, probably with our Super NES console quest. But until then, for Nadia and myself, thanks for listening, and happy adventuring. We'll be right back.